0: Hey everyone, welcome to the first, I guess you just right now, called the Channel Fireball Podcast. I'm Tristan Sean Gregson, here with my co-host for hopefully more than just one week. We've got Robert Martin.
1: Hello again, everybody.
0: Again, we, to be so facetious as to think that we're going to be doing this more than just this one time. Absolutely. Again, Happy. thanks everyone for showing up today. We are going to cover everything Channel Fireball in the week, as opposed, as opposed to not doing that, as opposed to not doing this at all. But uh, let's see, we've got the content from the week. You, if you continue to listen to this podcast and maybe of the four people currently listening helping us come up with a title for it, we're going to recap all the content that get put up on the week on the website. Check out new products, new releases that are coming up around the corner. See what stuff is worth picking up, maybe worth passing on. Check out everything from, to be offered from Channel Fireball. A little bit of a market watch, since that's, I'd like to think, one of my specialties. Where cards are going up, down, left, right, nowhere at all. And then lastly, following your team Fireball members, what are they playing, where are they going to be, what are we going to go into from there? So, without further ado, Robert Martin, what happened this week in Channel Fireball. Well,
1: we've had some great articles this week. Uh, Matt Nass start off with going over the effects of Besieged and decks, including a Tezzeret deck, which seems to be a very common theme, as you'll notice through this. Uh, and not surprising that he has uh, Green Sun Zenith in an Elf deck and in a Legacy deck with Green Sun Zenith. Uh, Chaz- I, I'm
0: surprised that Matt bothered to write about something other than Elves. I mean, obviously it was nice to see him update his lists with some I would say some new besieged card, but uh, that's pretty exciting that he actually went over a a Tezera build. I assume it was just blue black?
1: Yes, it was just blue black. It was interesting because it's like I said, you'll start to see a reoccurring theme of this. With how popular Taseret is, uh, a lot of the the writers in here discuss a lot of Taseret. So I think I think that's going to be very interesting. And as we continue onward uh, to your market watch segment, I got a feeling Taseret might be on the list of things you might be talking about.
0: Might be. Every, I mean, I'd like to think at this point everyone kind of knows he's might be as good as advertised. I mean, you know, there was so much hullabaloo around Elspeth, Cawth, uh, and Venser in the last set, and a lot of people invested in what they thought were seventy dollar mythics, and at the end of the week, month, year, things had changed quite a bit. But Tesseret, I mean, obviously we're still in kind of release weekend, but he seems to be as good as advertised, which is a little bit different from the other ones we, other planeswalkers we'd seen out of the gate recently, or mythic rares, depending on how you, how you want to delineate them.
1: And, and speaking of dealing with uh, people that trade and buy, uh, Chaz Andrews wrote an article on how to use technology. I'm not getting ripped off with of trading with sharks and some of the techniques that they use against you and also more tips to become a better trader. I think one of the main things about this is when it comes to trading, you really have to be prepared because the people out there are – there's a lot of people out there to get you on trades and get you on deals like that. And if you just come a little prepared and use a little technology on your side to help you, you won't come on the short end of most deals.
0: Now, that, that's it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people trading will try to avoid sharks because they're trying to do, you're trying to get, you know, angle shoot you, if you will, for those percentage points, for those extra, you know, dollar to dime rares that you're not paying attention to, those foil commons that might only be playable in vintage or legacy that you're not, you know, are you're not aware that they're worth 10 or 20 times as much as a normal card. Um, I'm interested to know why Chaz would uh, you know what what's his advice really for for entering the waters with sharks?
1: Well, it's really the ability to be able to pull up an actual price when they come at you and say, "This card's worth thirty, and yet you go to a dealer at the table uh, at another table and they're selling it for ten, and he's still pushing for thirty, that you know how to stand up and handle that. I think that's one of the difficulties that people have when it comes to trading. Is that a lot of people just they want to make the deal, and instead of making the deal that's best for both of you, you end up making a rush deal because the guy's like saying, "Oh, take it or leave it, take it or leave it," and then he's gone, and you lose what you want to get. So
0: I mean, I, I'm glad you used a very uh, a '90s style example there of, of of referring to dealer booths in the room. I, mean, I was gonna say in this day and age, you know, the the uh, the shark trying to get you on um, just you know, type two rares seems so hard these days when everyone's just pulling out their iPhones their Droids their Blackberries, and and looking up what uh you know websites like Channel Fireball sell cards for to immediately come back and say hey you know what that is a $6 rare you know that's not a $10 rare that's you know that's a that's an $8 mythic now that's not a $20 mythic and it seems like um you know the game has probably changed a lot in that aspect i mean i don't, I don't do a lot of um binder floor trading at events or even at stores these days but um it definitely seems like things have changed a lot. And and being armed with that weapon, being, being armed with that tool of where the market's at and being able to refer to our website is a pretty big advantage. Um, and I'd like to think that it's probably changed the game a lot, is how people try to, to one-up you in, in a transaction.
1: Well, and that's what he stresses, is that a lot of people still don't do enough research behind it they have their binder and they think they know what they're they have and they think they know what it's worth and that's kind of one of the weaknesses is that someone can take advantage of it oh i
0: mean i I could think of many examples of, of kind of both the things you've touched on here i mean you spend so much time kind of going through someone's stuff pulling out things you guys both want trying to make a deal and you know you don't want to waste 15 minutes 20 minutes an hour with somebody that you've You've gone through, pulled these things out that you're looking for, and then just be like, you know what, we can't agree on a price. I want to walk away from all of it, and you definitely want to get something while you're there. So, I, I, you know, and the same thing about people being, you know, just kind of assuming the value of their things when they walk into a room on a weekend or at their local store on a night, and you know, maybe a day or so afterwards, they look at they look at the the website and see if things have changed a lot. So. That's
1: it's like it's, it's, it's an advantage. It's an advantage to come in prepared. That's basically what it is. And if you read enough, and there's enough articles out there, and there's plenty of writers here that talk about what pricing a card should be, you you should be able to come in prepared. You should have some sort of uh, advantage into coming into battle with this. All right, All
0: right. who do we got next uh, on the CFB articles of the week?
1: Alexander Shearer discussed Legacy and how to battle the beasts within the format, including sideboard techniques and how to stop people with all forms of disruption, including in his case, there's different levels of disruption based on what cards your opponents are playing, and it's fascinating because Legacy is a a very challenging format, and to actually have it spell out for you what you need to bring in versus what matchup is always very, very helpful.
0: Yeah, it's... uh Legacy from you know I don't play a lot of it, but I know that you know kind of blanket answers are the soup du jour. You want to play cards like Parish, because you know you're gonna run against a progenitus, you might run against an elf deck, you might run against just an awkward green deck you weren't prepared for. It's one of those blanket answers. Um and that's you know, it's an interesting one to uh to read about. I mean, I want to know how you how you second level that and then go beyond. Like, okay, you know, like I know my my opponents are gonna bring in these these broad answers, how do I get around that?
1: And there's a lot of cards, there's a lot of specific cards versus matchups that he brings into play that really is helpful. And it's it seems like, again, this is the definitely the week of Legacy because our next article is from Adam Barnello, who discusses Legacy with Besiege and another Tezzeret deck or two uh, that might affect your uh, decisions when it comes to playing Legacy. Uh, again, uh, Tezzeret seems to be a multi-format card, and that is very good for the price of it. Uh, anytime you can get a card that can instantly fit into multiple formats, it's very helpful. And it just seems like people are becoming very <laughs> creative with Tezzeret early on.
0: Well, creativity, it can go either way. I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of people out there are going to want to see some results before they want to throw down any amount of money on any card or trade aggressively for it, if you will. Thank you, Chaz. But... Uh, it's interesting how, you know, Jace is kind of a, a benchmark example. When the card was released, it was like, oh, it's going to be good in standard, oh, it's going to be amazing in block, but will it transcend formats? Will it be able to go there? And I don't think you saw it in many lists initially. You know, February, March of last year, you know, really weren't seeing it in legacy decks or any vintage decks. Um, and it's surprising that out of the gate, I mean, obviously, eternal formats, there's more artifacts, there's more cards that are going to interact with Tezzeret in a positive fashion. And you know, it's a little less surprising this time around. You're already seeing people coming up with deck lists to 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 make this guy, you know, a powerhouse in a legacy format or an eternal format of any variety.
1: Yes, and then the next article, which which as a person who does interviews and like yourself was very fascinating. Uh, Paulo interviewed uh, interviewed Kai Budde. It's a must read. Uh, It's I like to call it a legend with a legend in progress. To the inside of questions and answers of how magic went and the, one of the best questions he was asked in, in the, they did this series of questions and at the end he did kind of a shotgun format is he goes, name your favorite Brazilian magic player with the letter P in his name. <laughs> he didn't name follow. He named, uh, he named another guy and he, you could just, you could just see it as like, okay, I'm setting him up. This is going to be great. He's going to answer me, and then he answered another player who actually had a very, very good career and a very good track record. And you could just see that person go oh.
0: <laughs> And again, I'm such a an audio visual person. Like as soon as you started saying that interview thing, I was like, man, I would have killed to watch or at least listen to that interview. Be uh, I mean, if it, if they had done it, you know, over any kind of phone or audio or video device, because. For those of you who aren't familiar with, with, with Paulo talking, it is hilarious. Watch his draft videos. We actually have one of the guys that works, um, in our offices that edits the videos and he does an amazing Paulo impression to the point where I can't take, I can't take Paulo seriously anymore, which is a shame because I like that guy a lot. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sure if you throw German Kai in with hilarious Brazilian Paulo, uh, it would just, it would be great. But that, I mean, that sounds, that sounds awesome. I and mean, just like two people's, perspectives on the game who i admire so much and i'm sure have a vast well of knowledge especially from such different places of the world i mean brazil and germany and early 2000s and now and these things come together uh again not much of a reader rob but you might have convinced me to go back and take a look at this one it
1: it, it was very fascinating and i just it's it's interesting because a lot of people you know they, they think paulo's so young it's like they don't if think. He A lot of us know. Well, they know. Yeah, yeah they know. But if Paul is still but, young. But if retired right now, he was like 21st all time, I think 21st all time in in pro points. I mean, that's automatic Hall of Fame without anything else. I mean, and he is super young. And the questions he asked, I was sitting there going, "Wow, man!" I mean, these are all the questions that you would think of if, when because we do interviews that you would be asking him. And I'm like, wow. So I mean, uh, props to Paulo for all the work he did on this. And uh, like I said, there had to be. It's too bad this wasn't recorded on audio. Because I think I think it would have been phenomenal. I think I think we really. I mean, as much as you'll enjoy reading it, I think you would have gotten a lot more had this been actual audio with the two of them talking.
0: If only there was a way. I'm, I'm just yes. trying to think of future events if there's any way we can get. I mean, really, to me, Paulo and almost anyone. I mean, obviously. The Kai interview would would be great. It would be over the top. But Paulo pretty much talking to anyone is already a leg up on any other interview. Uh, gosh, can't wait to get that guy back on camera. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, that's the beautiful thing. And it just seems like when he writes his articles, the one thing is you can tell there is a tremendous amount of passion for it. It's just there's a lot of, you know, he puts his time, he puts his – you know, his mind into it, and it's like, it's something, it just seems to be that you can tell right there, it's like, this, I care about this, and, and that's something that's very important, because I think that translates back to the readers who actually read the articles.
0: Uh, And, you know, Luis, of all people, who does not dole out compliments willy-nilly, if you will, uh, for quite a while now, has been consistently saying that Paulo has been putting out the best stuff on the site. And that every time he writes something, he loves it. He tells everyone to read it. Um, great, great stuff. Great stuff. But that's There's too also, uh, high. But we do have a pretty big one, you know, next on your line here of stuff to talk. About. Yes, we have. We have the
1: brand new writer to the team, and that's, oh, Shuhei Na, Nakamura. Oh man, Nakamura. you had it. You, you had
0: a dead. Yeah. Game Shuhei Nakamura. Sorry about that. You were just, oh, you were just laying them out. Perfect tense. Uh-huh. Shuhei Nakamura. With his first article on the website.
1: Yes, he talks about blue-black control, um, matchup sideboarding options, and the duress versus Inquisition, which remarkably, he gave both sides a reason why you want to play both. And then at the end, I'll save it. I'll save that for you to read. It was very interesting how he, he puts the advantages of both cards in there and explains why at the end which one he picks at the end. I, I thought it was interesting because blue black control obviously with the effectiveness it did at worlds and all the other things that it's been very very popular. To not surprising that uh, a Japanese player running blue black control, I, it's. It was fascinating to me reading what just the little slight changes of the deck is.
0: Well, that's 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 see that's Japanese craftsmanship for you. It's the slight tuning that us Americans slash Janians don't take a lot of time to think about. But really, one inquisition or one duress can really make the difference. And that's something that I, I'm so happy the Japanese take the time to uh, to look at. And you know, I gotta say, from my clunky just kind of playing of the deck, and here's my two worthless cents. Um, I've definitely played a lot with Inquisition and I've had Duress in the sideboard and it's interesting to me because I've had access to Inquisition, Duress, and then Spell Pierce. and in the blue-black deck it seems like you really just don't have room for all of them and how do you kind of find a good mix especially post-board, to kind of play all those cards, so I definitely want to uh, check out what his insight on it was and see which way to go from the the fine-tuned Japanese perspective
1: Well, and you can tell the one thing right away is that there's a lot of depth to the article uh, which is not surprising. Uh, it, it just seems like uh, the Japanese writers in general have this... There's no lack of information you're not getting from it. So that was one of the things I really enjoyed about it. And then uh, this week, Zames wrote two articles, uh, the first half of his Five Color Control report, and now the second half that's coming out today, uh, more insights into the world of Five Color Control, and... His discussion, he will talk more about fairies in there and how it measured up against it. Uh, It was interesting to see that the five-color control was run as much as it was and how well he did with it, making, you know, as far as he did in the PTQ he was in with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like to think, like, extended, you have access to all five colors. And uh, right now it's just about, to me, it's about picking which are the best possible spells I can get at each converted mana cost. And uh you know, I, I respect Zayn as a player and he uh he, he you know, he's long winded from when I talk to him. And not that that's a bad thing. But again, my ADD has a has a hard time following his uh his train of thought. But um I'd like to think that there's a lot of insight in there from what he has to say about his tournament report, because he again, he, he takes the time. He lets you know what's going on.
1: Absolutely. Um uh Brian Grill writes an article this week about the market of besieged and what cards you should be looking at to buy or sell a lot of cards he had in there which were interesting at least to me and my my thing was is he, he talks about uh, the fact that not surprisingly enough that um, ink moth nexus is a card you're going to want to get your hands on and as many as you can uh, just for uh, multiple things like the one comment that he makes about it is it's a free artifact card for Shape Anu, a target for Tezera to create Metalcraft. Uh, he won't he won't say this, but it's pretty close. It could be the best card in the set. That's one of his quotes in there from there.
0: Well that's that's okay. I think if uh, you know, assuming Magic T V makes it up to the website in timely fashion, you'll get to uh, see some pros perspectives on Ink Moth Nexus and as well and, and see who agrees and disagrees with him.
1: Well, see, this is very disappointing because I really wanted to get my hands on some, and I was hoping it wasn't going to be the ridiculous card. It seems like it's going to be. Uh, uh, you just got
0: to remember, Robert, it's only rare, and in this day and age, you have to be thankful for that. You have to be thankful; it's only rare.
1: True. It's no, it's very no
0: Lotus true. Cobra. It's no, like what? A, what is a great example of a of a mythic rare? Which seems to kind of break the mold of what they considered uh, Mythic Rares to be when they first started printing them. Lotus Cobra was my favorite, like, fallback card, where it was like, oh, no, it's not one of those, like, 4 of cards you'd put in a deck. It's, you know, it's it's very very obscure, very different, very, very uh, what was it, Prince of Thralls-esque, if you will, or Maya of the Area, all those uh, sweet, mythical, legend crap cards from Shards of Alara. The <laughs> There's some Mythic yeah, Rares which, right there.
1: Well, which is interesting, because there were a lot of cards in that set that... Their prices were all over the map with it.
0: It was quite interesting.
1: And then this week, uh, LSV did a set reviews. Uh, we've gone through most of them. I believe the last one, I might have missed the first one was artifacts. Uh, he went through a lot of them. It was interesting how he determined certain cards. And if you've watched the Magic TV show, you've, he's discussed these cards in full length. He, it's interesting, I like to see what his thoughts on limited formats are on these because it's it's interesting to see what he values at a 4 and then all of a for a constructor it's a 1 because it has no place or home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I think is really helpful. I think a lot of times before a pre- release events like this it is to have any advantage you can get as far as Additional information to make a decision on making a deck can make a difference between finishing 3-1 and getting packs and finishing, you know, 0-2 and drop. And literally it could be you making a decision over a couple of cards that could make the difference.
0: Well, it's it's pretty key as well because a lot of times there's going to be more room for discussion on a card's value in Limited than there is in Constructed. Um, obviously, it's really easy to see especially short-term, how a card fares in Constructed. You know, it's in a deck. It does something in a deck. You can see it do that. You can see its results. You can see how it plays out. In Limited, things are so much more open-ended. They're so much more situational. Um, making those decisions, especially on the fly, when you have to match them up against other cards in packs and then match them up against other cards in games and choices, is seemingly so much more in-depth that I completely agree with you that watching how the pros assess... Uh, Cards for Limited is, is so much more important to me, especially in a, a set preview or review. Yeah. Um,
1: those are the major articles that we had this week. Uh, I'd like to talk about your ME4 draft that you did, at the video online.
0: Well, lay it on me, because that is something I actually do know about.
1: It is interesting. I find it that drafting ME4 uh, is tremendously difficult. I don't think is as easy as I mean I mean you and Conley I don't want to say make it look easy, but I mean it's like the decisions you have to make in such a short time and to be able to recall all those cards and how they play and how they fit, it's tough.
0: Well I you mean, know, M E four is an is an interesting format. Um yeah. you know, when it when it originally came out I was far more excited about it thinking that there were gonna be a lot more avenues to draft in this format than previous master editions, because it felt like the design team had taken more time to really kind of balance it for limited. Um, and what I found after playing with it a lot is that it's a lot like trying to turn cream into butter. Uh, and it's very slow and very clunky, and, you know, it's kind of like, it reminds me, I mean, there are formats where you know your opponent has like one or two really good cards in their deck, and you might only have one or two answers, so a really, like, you know, weak vanilla example would be, you know that your opponent's best way to win the game is with his two Sarah Angels, or, you know, and that and that's it. Like, you could, you could kind of, like, trade your other guys in combat, but you might only have, like, one arrow elemental or something, or, you know, eventually that guy's going to stick, it's going to be a big deal. And you have exactly two answers in your whole deck to these Sarah Angels, and you draw one early. And in this format, it's so slow; it takes so long. Where it's like, I just want to sandbag that answer the entire time because so many games are won by like middling creatures getting on the board, not being able to to get through each other, and then just one four four comes over the top, or one creature with evasion, or you know one you know something something big happens. And if you don't have say if you haven't saved your one good answer to that card, or your one answer to that card, then you might just lose to it. I mean, a great example like I drafted the other night and. My opponent had a Tertavis and a Singer Vampire in his deck, and I knew that I was only left with one Swords of Plowshares and one Divine Offering in my deck. My opponent played several other flyers, didn't get up to four power, another, like, you know, reasonable artifact, or maybe, like, Grapefruit Caniple or something, but it was like I had to sandbag these cards in order to be able to win the game because, again, the board is full of stuff. And sure enough, it came down to the key turn where those things happened. I removed his things when he tapped out. And then you know my four power flyer was going to win the game, and it was it was awkward, and it was not you know it's 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 waiting. I mean, we've tried to draft Tron. I tried to draft MBA one time just to see if it was working. Like turn one swamp, dark ritual, foul spirit. End up losing to the white like the white flyers deck just because it can it can wait long enough to get there and get you back. And like I'm, I'm trying to like brainstorm other ideas of ways to to draft something that might work to tr- like, try to re- just record that and then make something interesting out of it. Because I think, you know, the blue-white flyers or the blue-black-white color combination are kind of like the Tron with red or even like the green beaters with some kind of removal to back it up decks are like, you know, they're there, they're very vanilla, they're not entertaining to watch, we understand how to do it. Um, so it's trying to look for other avenues. So they open up something interesting try to do something with it.
1: Yeah, it is tough. I mean, that's one of the things that... Uh, you could just tell there are times when you when you get picks and you're sitting there and it's like, and and, and I know the cards. You're staring at them and going, "Wow, there's just really nothing here."
0: I mean, <laughs> David Ochoa, the Ocho or Webb, depending how you want to call him. He just he does nothing but sit back and like laugh at Luis and I for trying to draft this thing, and record drafts, and talk about <laughs> our picks. And he just he he mocks it at all opportunities, thinking it's just terrible. And why do we do it? And and, I, and I'm one of the biggest proponents of, of mass edition. I, I I love playing with old cards. I love drafting old formats you couldn't draft before. I I love the kind of clunky portal cards that you know their their intentions were good, but they play so awkward. Uh, I love the artwork. I love everything about them, but they just don't work. Like it, it even seems like after all this energy they put into this set, it just it just didn't happen. Yeah, it, it's it's it's
1: them. I mean, they do they do their best to try to make things. Spice it
0: up a little bit,
1: you know. It's it's just tough. It really is. It's it's absolutely tough. And, yet, and yeah, but and it's you know, fun, like though. the
0: sad thing at the same time is like we well, got to put you got to get leeches online somehow. You got to get into the eye of chaos online somehow. So you just have all these packs with just completely blank rares. Where it's like, oh well, that was awesome. Like you know, like, the guy next to me opened. Uh, you know, you didn't even know like my boat opened like fire. The guy next to me opened Fireball and, and passed me. Into the Eye of Chaos after I opened Leeches, like this is spectacular.
1: It's like sometimes you wonder what they're, what they actually, you know, to see the rare and it's like, and then you're looking through the cards and like, what did he pick?
0: I mean, I guess I'm a proud owner of a Leeches for whenever time I need a burning wish for that in some kind of casual format, but other than that, <laughs> I don't really see a a whole lot of use for it. Uh,
1: but it is interesting. Uh, Conley's thing, it, it, he has the same issues too that you do. And it's interesting to just, like I said, we discussed this, it's just it's interesting to see how difficult it really truly is to do the ME4 drafts. So I give you guys a lot of credit, because, boy, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of times it's a lot of head-pounding, uh, you know. I mean, but it's still fun. I
0: went, I went into it pretty enthusiastic, and my my interest is, has fallen off quite a bit. So I'm just kind of, we're all just kind of like hanging on until the siege hits online, and then interest levels and excitement levels will go back through the roof.
1: I am waiting to see that because the drafting style of that pack being first is going to really change your mindset because you're so pre-programmed that it's, you know, the other way. It'll be interesting. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and I look forward to those videos. At least I know the new when the new ones come out, those will be very interesting. But you
0: also did something else this week. Well, um, I'd like to think I did a few things, but uh, what yeah, are you referring well, to? Uh, Monday, something Monday happened Monday Night Magic. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Now, 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 on a new home as well. That being channelfireball.com. If, assuming we work out all the kinks.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, the the new the recorder is up there correctly for it. I think so. Or the player, so yes. that that's, that's also very helpful.
0: People are listening to this on. I mean, who knows?
1: Yes, and uh, there was also you also got some very positive comments on it right away. There were comments on it right away, so that's good. Um
0: yeah we um we are more or less partnering with MTG cast uh Chris Outwell kind of owner operator whatever title he would like to be called by I will I will give to him um has selected a number of what he considers to be quality work to kind of dual post on on uh, our website as well as MTG cast um we want to bring everyone who comes to Channel Fireball everything magic. I mean, that, that's what my goal is. I mean, you've got articles from pros. You've got videos from donks like myself. You've got Magic TV. And now you've got podcasts. So you can listen to us in the car. You can watch us while you're sitting in lecture hall and not doing your homework. Um, and then you can read whenever people do that. I'm not really sure.
1: Yes. Uh, they also, this week, there's a Men of Magic interview that will be coming up uh, with uh, Gavin Verhey. Uh, very good interview. Gavin was, again, as insightful as always, uh, very open and honest about his career and what he looks forward to doing. And that was a lot of fun. And also, hopefully this week, there will be a Man Screwed Up this week that will be on the website, too. Now, now
0: real and, quick, Robert. Uh, yes. You, you are kind of an integral part to both those podcasts you just mentioned. Yes, sir. Now, Man Screwed has, like, a logo, right? Yes, we do. Well, hopefully, we'll be featuring that, you know, in your in your little yeah. scroll thing on on Shadow Fireball there, but uh, yes. the meta magic don't, don't, not re- not really sporting a logo yet.
1: No, not yet, and I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, that's something that uh, I've left that form of creative control to Chris, and it's interesting because, like I said, it's the meta magic has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, it's it's really great to do an interview, but not have it be strictly 100% magic. Uh, I, I like Gavin, for example. We dig a little bit into his uh, personal writing in college that he does for the University of Washington. Uh, it's just it's it's fun to find a little more about somebody than you know. And anytime you can do that, it can get you a little closer to that person. Well, it's, you know,
0: yeah, it's, it's so. pretty exciting. Uh, I know that you're going to have obviously unprecedented access to all of Team Fireball now that we uh, have you guys on the website so I'll be very interested to see what, what what crazy stories I know about people that make it you know up to the, the webs and ones I don't know that hopefully I, I'll get to hear about in the near future
1: well the, uh, the one that we hope to be getting when he comes back from Pro Tour Paris would be LSV but to get that man tied down to anything right now is virtually impossible yeah Disco- uh, uh, Look for
0: March. I mean, I'm not his personal secretary, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, I hear he's pretty booked up.
1: Yeah, it's funny. There's something going on. I think it's called magic. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to now discuss a little bit about the. Um, it's okay, you, Robert. That was a uh,
0: mediocre segue at best. Here yes, that on, was. on our channel Fireball Podcast, not only are we going to bring you the weekend review, not only are we going to bring you awkward introductions from Robert and myself, but we're going to try to bring you a little bit more. Uh, Is feel like, you know, for those that don't know, I'm involved a lot in the financial side of the website, and for those of you that probably know, Luis isn't at all interested in that kind of thing. So, while I'd like to go on Magic TV and talk about dual decks and talk about product releases, he's not going to have any of that. So, for the four of you, again, who are still interested, we've got the first time, the first segment, this show, this week, we've got new products, or product watch, however you want to call it. I'm sure we'll have a spicy logo or sound effect at some point in the future, once we double our, our, our viewership or listenership, I guess. Yes. So, we all know Siege is coming out, obviously. It's the product of the day. Buy it. You know, we're all going to do it. There's not a whole lot to say there. The big question, uh, not only my mind, but everyone else's mind, is what do you do with these faction packs? Do you still have them? Do you, did you crack them all and you want to get more? Do you hate them and never want to have to see them again and didn't like the faction you picked or didn't like the gimmick? That's really the big question. And obviously the people who are still holding on to them are like, well, what do I do with them? Do I crack them? Do I sit on them? Do I eBay them now? Do I unload them to somebody? And it's an interesting situation. Obviously these packs right now, if you want to go somewhere to buy them, a.k.a. eBay, the largest location where kind of the guys from these pre-releases can go and post their stuff, is kind of high. Like Phyrexia packs are like a dollar more than Mirin packs. They're coming around about 6 5 or $4 a piece, more like 6 5 I mean, do you really want to spend that on them? Is it a good investment? I personally don't think it's a great idea. I think that, I mean, if you want for Chaos Draft, if you want to, like, do something cool and gimmicky, they're worth picking up. Otherwise, they're just a gimmick. And there's enough of them out there that, given a long enough timeline, a lot of these people that are just sitting on them, are going to eventually unload them. That doesn't mean they're still not going to try to get more out of them. But thinking about it, you know, I think about a year out... The buzz is going to wear off. You know, Besiege isn't the new set. Everyone's just going to try to pick it up in every form. I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to pick up these packs for cheaper. Sure, sealed boxes are probably going to be pretty expensive. I would imagine like 180 $200. they will just sit there, though, if they're listed at that much. But you could buy. I mean, these aren't going to be like incredible products that they're only going to skyrocket in value. I don't know, Wizards printed a ton of this stuff. So many people think it's going to be worth something if they're sitting on it. But that means that usually a lot of people are going to have them for quite a while. And that's assuming that, you know, in the long term, people even want these things. It's only half a set. From the boxes we opened at our pre-releases in Channel Fireball, we actually had multiple boxes where the Phyrexian sides did not have rares in their packs. So that's a little awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. How do
1: you explain that one?
0: Uh, I don't have an explanation for that one. It just, uh, they just didn't have them. I mean, we 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 found three boxes out of the, like, 53 that we used for players that were, like, entering events. I mean, that doesn't include prize packs because we didn't have people report, you know, they didn't get them out of those. Like, who knows, people that got them out of prize packs, took them home and still sitting on them or took them home and opened them didn't tell us. But three boxes out of the 53 we used for events did not have rares in the Phyrexian side. Hmm. so I mean there's also that tiny possibility that you're sitting on packs that don't actually even have any rares in them as opposed to the siege packs, which i'm pretty sure they're going to have the rares
1: yeah <laughs> um, that's now bringing that up that's that's kind of interesting because as a uh consumer, I would think that since i'm having access if I want to target rare wouldn't my odds increase being buying Only on one half of the side, you know what I'm saying?
0: Well, yeah, the Phyrexian ones are are distinctly worth more than the Mirren ones right now because everyone's kind of putting their money on the Phyrexian side when it comes to the rares, which is coming up momentarily for me, but uh, that explains their value right now. I'm still saying a lot of it is hype around the set being released today. Six months from now, a year from now, unless Mirren and Besiege cards are ruling standard. It is, you know, the world wake of its era, kind of how World Wake is right now, where you can't find it, everyone's on the big Jace hunt, packs are like six dollars retail, you can't get boxes for less than like a hundred and seventy-five anywhere, then maybe. But I'm seeing realistically, watch as the hype disappears, watch as the, the set interest level goes back to normal, these packs shouldn't be worth anything more than a regular pack.
1: Interesting, interesting. I, I would I would just think that it would be nice to be able to get more of them because like I said if you're gunning for a specific rare on one side or the other, I mean the opportunity to get it increases.
0: I I've heard rumors that they might be reissued in uh in future like um intro decks or possibly some kind of um like uh deck builders toolkit kind of format. So they're they're not necessarily entirely dead cuz I I've been hearing that Wizards still has a bunch of them they're trying to find a good way to like unload them.
1: Hmm. Huh. It's interesting. Uh what else is new? What else is new this week?
0: Well let's we'll stop on some cards. Obviously we've got besieged coming right out of the gate. And for the most part, cards are gonna be worth a lot. I mean, their values are inflated because they're scarcity right now and people want to play with them. But even within that range, there's still room to grow and room to even go down in value with cards as coming out. Uh, the two big movers of the week though, ironically, are lands. We're looking at Ink Moth Nexus, as you mentioned earlier. When it first hit the market, both on StarCityGames.com and ChannelFireball.com, it was $5.99. Uh, now we're selling them for $11.99 and having a hard time keeping quantity on them. Uh, it's very popular. A lot of people are going into Paris Weekend looking to play that card, uh, and it might even be in other formats. Uh, someone made the analogy where it's kind of like Quicksand, where you're giving your opponent's guy minus one when they attack into it, you know, seemingly at worst, but that's something that's going to be permanent and never go away. Um Having kind of a reusable damage source, even like in a format like Legacy, where life total may or may not matter, depending on, what you're, uh, depending on what you're playing, could be good. But we're seeing a lot of implications in Type 2 and Block, where this guy not only fits into future Infect decks, which we will be seeing, but also Artifact, mostly Tesseract-based decks.
1: And the other one, Contested Warzone.
0: Contested Warzone. That card is coming out of nowhere. It started at a dollar. I think it's currently at 3 right now and still has room to grow. Uh, again, both the cards we're talking about right here are only rare. And the ceiling on rares, kind of in standard, is about $20. You can't really go past that unless things go really scarce. Um, and again, I like to think of Mirrored Siege a lot like Honflex, where the Mythics and the rares kind of break down in value the same way. So a card like in- Ink Moth Nexus is kind of similar to um, was it, Noble Hierarch, who, you know, right out of the gate, you knew this card was going to be good. It was expensive, and it kind of capped out. Uh, Contested Warzone. I mean, if you want to draw comparisons t- uh, to try to make you know, like see where I'm what I'm going at, it could be a card like uh, you know Knight of the Relicary, where it started at uh, four to six, it kind of plateaued at fourteen to fifteen, and right now that seems absurd for Contested Warzone. But there are a lot of aggressive decks out there that might want to run four of this card, and that's really the key for making its value jump a lot. If it's in one deck as a four of, that might increase its value, but not necessarily a whole lot. However, uh like if it's in multiple decks as a four of, you're gonna see this card go up in value. Uh, quite a bit, substantially. It's
1: interesting. There's been a lot of uh discussion about different cards and uh, you guys have discussed at length of you discussed at length of go for the throat and we're seeing that card jump up in price. Uh you you just there's a lot of interesting cards that are making Are going to make moves depending on next week.
0: Well, you know, it's very interesting. That is a spectacular segue, Robert, because the next thing I want to talk about was cards that will kind of be dropping. And my two examples for this week actually come directly out of the event decks that we're going to be seeing in the near future. Starting, most importantly, with Go for the Throat. When this card was first spoiled, when we were first looking at its impact on formats, I was saying it, Luis was saying it, everyone around us was saying it. It's the new path to exile. You're going to want to run four of it. It's going to be in multiple formats. It's going to be great. Now, I've kind of changed my tune on this card, as well as other people are starting to, for a few reasons. <clears throat> namely, uh, namely because more artifact creatures are finding their way into the standard environment, as we talk about Ink Moth Nexus, as we might talk about Signal Pest in the future, we might talk about Wormcoil Coil Engine more coming back, or any number of artifact creatures being played or playable. I mean, Tezzeret makes guys that you then can't kill with Go for the Throat. That seems kind of awkward. So, <clears throat> as we're probably two, three weeks ago, I would have said this card is just like Path to Exile. You should pick up playset Play set immediately. You know, whatever someone's charging you, whatever you want to trade for them, just get them, have them, you're going to use them. Now, uh, I don't think that's true. I, I think that this is a $2 card that might be a $3 card. This isn't like Path Exile that was a $2 card that was probably going to become a $5 or $6 card just like it did. Um, Its playability is not on the same level. And then, tying in with event decks, in the black-green, infectish event deck that's coming out very shortly, you get two copies of this card. So, if anything, that means foils might kind of, you know, kind of expand their value away from the regulars a little bit more, but they're going to be readily accessible in the immediate future. I mean, probably not in the next couple of weeks, but once they get around, you'll be able to get them, and don't spend that much on them. I mean, that, that's pretty much my bottom line on Go for the Throat. So it's steady now, but don't look for it to go up.
1: Well, that's good, because I think that a Go to the Throat card would be... It's 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 a fascinating card, but like you said, right now, if it in the after the next set comes out, if we're running artifact, artifact, artifact decks, what is Go for the Throat going to do?
0: Exactly. I'd rather just rather just have me a shatter or a Verding Corruptor or something like that. Um similar on the event deck side, we've got Goblin Guide coming out in the other event deck, the red one. Goblin Guide was a, is has been one of those like five dollar, four four and I guess it kinda of dropped to like the three fifty four range at its lowest, um when red wasn't played that much. But it was still I mean that's, that's still decent value for just a rare and a set. Uh, but it got up to about ten dollars at its height when Boros, Aggro Red, Goblins variants were kind of running around in the standard environment. However, again, you're getting two copies of this in uh, the new event deck that's coming out, so it's really going to kill the value on that card. I,
1: I, I really, I, that is another card that I really liked, and it's interesting to see how much uh, as a as a s- retailer uh, with the event decks unlike the decks that come out now, the intro decks for the set, do you think these event decks will move?
0: I think they're great. I think that the fact that they're the, the first two they're putting out are aggressive, seemingly linear strategies that make them similar to play also increase how much we can do in sales with them. Um, they're great for the players. They're great for magic tournaments. They're great for events. And, you know, even as a, even as a, as a dealer, even as someone that deals in the singles market, I have no problem with them printing powerful cards, valuable cards in these decks, because ultimately it's going to sell more of them. It's going to get people playing more magic, more interested in playing magic, which is ultimately good for the game and then is thusly good for business. So I'm not going to cry, you know, into my sweatshirt that go for the throat and goblin guy aren't going to be worth, you know, twice as much as they could have been next week, and it's going to be bad, like. I'm, I'm glad these rare cards. I'm, I'm glad that they 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 have playability. I'm glad that they have value.
1: Yes. So I'm still I am still waiting for them to produce Jace the Mind Sculptor. Any.
0: And last uh, but not least, again with the great segues, Robert, you're 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 batting at least seven fifty. <laughs> yes. Jace. Now there's been a lot of talk about him as usual, but when when recently has there not been a lot of talk about him? I think he's going to take a dive here. Uh, you know. This is this is the insight I'm getting from multiple different angles. Uh, Sales have kind of halted on him. Um, Prices are slowly starting to drop now, and uh, I think I think you're going to see him, you know, not plummet in value, but I think you're going to see him come off of the pedestal, the plateau, the the $100 marker that he's been fetching in the last couple of months. It's finally time for him to come back to reality. He's not going to be dominating standard like he once was. There are enough, especially aggressive cards out there right now, that are taking him down a peg.
1: So, could we see eventually, if we'll say, example of this week, uh, next week, all suddenly Tezzeret shows up in three of the top eight decks? Could this be a case where Tezret becomes really hot and Tezret slides into that slot? There been um, I, don't, I, don't that have I don't think
0: it's the same. I don't think it's the same. I think that they're, I think that they're different. Okay. Now, Robert, I don't, I don't think they they occupy the same space uh, literally, and I think that they play very differently. That's not to say that a blue-black control deck in the near future isn't going to change up to run more artifacts and tesserets and eliminate copies of Jace. Although they are fighting for the same casting cause at that spot in, in a deck like that. But I think that they're just very different cards, and I think that you're just going to see more aggressive decks that are going to go around Jace, through Jace, over Jace, right into him very quickly, and he's not going to be what he once was.
1: That's very interesting. It's 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 interesting to see that a card that's defined a format now all suddenly become the card that may not be defining the format.
0: Well, I, I mean, even when Jace was at his peak, I don't think he alone defined a format. I think he was one of the pillars that defined it. Yeah, um, you you know you needed a Lotus Cobra to get him out uh, super early, or you needed a primeval Titan on the other end to keep him uh, keep him honest. There have been other cards around him pretty much the entire time that he's been very very playable and seemingly dominant. But he isn't solely at the top. It's not like you can say, "Well, what was standard a year ago? Well, it was Jund. What well, was standard now? Well, it's Jace." Uh, I think it's. Uh, it's a combination of things, but he is mortal, and he is definitely gonna finally come down in value. I mean, we, we've seen him kind of like, you know, he'll reach a new pla- seeming plateau, come down a little bit, and then like just go back on the rise. And that's kind of how the value it has been for about a year. I mean, it's like, oh, today it's forty-five. Oh, today it's fifty. As it hits sixty, we'll move back down to fifty-five. Ah, see, see, this card's mortal. It's going back down, and then slowly but surely, it's found its way all the way up to a hundred dollars. Um, but it's it's definitely coming down. I I would be not at all surprised if in two weeks is a good time frame. If in two weeks you see us selling him for 85,
1: that would be that would be definitely interesting. I I would I would I would find that not surprising at all. I just think it's it has that potential to go in that direction. And you're right. And as you starting to see people slowly change how they play stuff. It, 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 everything evolves. But there is one card I do want to ask you about that I don't know if there is a lot of activity on it, but it does have the potential to be an interesting card. Uh it is Cryptoplasm, the Shapeshifter.
0: That is the uh the two two for double blue and one that when I now what does the exact wording say? Does it say when it enters a battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep you it may become a copy of target creature that also has this ability?
1: It actually it actually is at the beginning of your upkeep, you may have cryptoplasm become a copy of another target creature. If you do so, it gains this ability.
0: Does it now does it say target and does it only say during the upkeep?
1: Yeah, it says during at the beginning of your upkeep, you may have Yeah, another target creature.
0: So for example, it couldn't target throne the last troll? I, I can look the card up right now, actually. I just, yeah. Because if, if you can only do it during upkeep, and if it has to target, then that card has nowhere to go. Hmm. Um, I think that if it just becomes a copy of a creature on the battlefield, and you could do it immediately to kind of, like, side swipe it getting hit by removal or something, it might be playable. Um, the problem with, like, just leaving kind of a vanilla 2-2 out there to give, you know... Your opponent or players in a multiplayer game the opportunity to kind of shoot down might not be strong enough,
1: and the double blue casting cost hurts it. If it would have been two and a blue, uh,
0: it could, have, maybe.
1: It could mean, have been maybe playable.
0: May, may, maybe the uh, the infect decks would want to get this guy. So sure enough, says at the beginning of your upkeep, you may have become a tar- copy of another target creature. Uh-huh. Yeah, that guy, uh he's going nowhere.
1: Okay. I just wanted to make sure because it just seemed it seemed like an interesting card and there were some people talking about it, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it before that uh comes out. I mean, there. It,
0: it doesn't get the comes-into-play of triggers of all the Titans, which is pretty key. Um, I mean, sure, it could become a Primeval Titan the turn after, although if your opponent didn't have a Lightning bolt to Pyroclasm or attack with their Primeval Titan, then that doesn't seem very good. Uh... Can't I mean like you like again? You can't target you can't target Thrawn and make a copy of him and then kill both copies, which would otherwise be totally okay um, as a, as a troll answer. But it it isn't. I think I think Clone actually has a far better chance of seeing points copying Titans or big trolls.
1: Absolutely, I think I, I I like Clone as a card. Of course, you know I I've also liked. Um, a few other cards that doesn't seem to make it anywhere, but it's, it's interesting. Now, the other card that I've had, I've seen a lot of people discuss, uh, and they're not as thrilled with it as I thought people would be. is sort of feast and famine.
0: Um, Luis and I did a pretty extensive review on it when we did Magic TV last, yeah. month. Um, and 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 all of the uh, all of the answers are there. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, aggressive decks are going to use this card the best. Um, of the two things it does, it turns your guy into a specter. Good. It untaps your lands. meh it's mediocre. Um, I think the value of it really comes in its color protection and you really need to kind of a- assess your matchups, what decks you're playing against. Is that what you want? Um, you know, protection from disfigure, smother, doom blade, go for the throat, and the ability to make your control opponent discard a card in an X blue X black matchup could be really strong. I mean, just having that ability could be really good. Having pro-green and untapping lands could be absolutely meaningless. And if that's strong enough to fuel it, that could be great. I think if you want pro-green on a sword, that sword of body and mind is almost always the pick between the two swords. So it's already the disadvantage out of the gate right there. Is it playable? Mm -hmm. Yes. Will it see play? Probably. Is it a mythic? In that best it's going to inflate its value a little bit more. Definitely. Is it a sword that people are going to watch for other casual formats? Again, yes. So it should really hold its value at $10, just like sort of uh, Body and Mind. I mean, it came out of the gate at like 12 14 That's even with the fact that it was in the From the Vault Relic set, which should have initially really hurt its value. But it stayed strong. I think at its weakest it dropped to about $8, but it's really kind of leveled off at about 10
1: Is there any card that people that... Are going to the pre-releases uh, outside of the big name ones? That maybe a card that's slightly under the radar that they should be looking to acquire in trades or purchase or whatever. Something that might be beneficial for them when they play this weekend to get a hold of with it from the from the stores they're going to go play at.
0: Well, definitely. I mean, like I said, buy those contested war zones. Try to trade for those Ink Moth nexuses at uh, whatever value you can get them at. Um, I mean, from there, you know, don't overvalue your, uh, your go for the throats. Green Suns and Ants are good pickups. I mean, there isn't, there isn't anything like super under the radar. This could be spectacular that, uh, you know, people haven't already tried to speculate on. I mean, that's the thing about when a set gets immediately released. There's, there's always fanfare from some angle for pretty much every borderline playable card. Um, and right now there's only really like, right under the radar that no one really knows about, because there's there's people out there speculating everything. I mean, I think Slagstorm's a little undervalued right now. It's another card that you might want to try to trade for more aggressively. Um, but, yeah, my, my, uh, my, my pick of the week is still Contested Warzone.
1: Okay. Uh, then let's go to where you're going to find Team Fireball this
0: week. Yes, last but not least, but on our list of topics, um, hopefully we want to direct you to where you can find the team during the course of the weekend. Uh, at events, at, you know, various publicity, you know, signings or gunslinging events for Team Fireball. But for the most part, there's a lot of our guys just kind of hunkering down in San Diego in a cave somewhere, working on uh, Standard for, for next week. Uh, I know that um, Luis Connolly uh, is over there with Gabe Walls, Owen Turnwald. Um, let's see, Brian Kibler, Brad Nelson are out there. There's probably been some, like, Matt Sperling, I'm sure, has at least stopped by. Uh, but there's a lot of, there's a pretty sizable think tank going on right now, including a lot of Team Fireball working on Dexter Paris. Not exactly uh, kind of governed by Luis. Instead, he's just kind of videoing Connelly Downing Salsa. But uh, I'm sure <laughs> definitely put together by him, and um, he'll take credit wherever he can. i
1: got to tell you, that was one of the videos that I saw that I couldn't, I couldn't help laughing about it. Just not surprising. got a lot
0: more views than the Connolly Woods tries to eat. Uh, I think it was like the atomic hot sauce at, like, the uh, smoke eater's house, like he had during World's testing. That one, that one did not go so well for him. Everyone, no. everyone gets to see the victory video of Connolly versus the salsa bottle. But, like, the, the exact same culprits were involved in Connolly versus the, like, Ridiculously hot, ridiculous hot sauce in San Jose a few months ago. It was, it was an Eric Froelich, Luis Scott Vargas, Connolly Woods collaboration. And if you want to, like, you saw, you saw the, the Connolly win. The Connolly, you know, uh, got the job done. If you want to see the Connolly fail, go, 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 go find that video.
1: <laughs> I, I just, it's funny. It's just from doing Monday Night Magic with him and stuff like that. I think, I think he just, he's just that kind of character.
0: He, he's the, uh, Kind of like the podcast king in my, in my view. He's the guy that, uh, is the pro that does these things and, uh, people like you just love him. Someone, yes. someone who hosts like four shows, like he's, he's your man, I have to assume.
1: Yeah. He's, but cause he's, cause he's just, he's funny and he's anytime a person can be loose and have fun and enjoy it makes life so much easier to do when you do a podcast.
0: Well, with that. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, by all means, uh, post comments of what you think we should do with this in the future. Please, please give us input on a title because we are creativeless morons who do not know what to do with this show. Um, and you can also email your ideas or concerns. You can find me at tsg at channelfireball.com. And where will we find you, Robert?
1: Uh, you can find me at... Um Robert at mtgcast.com would be the best way to reach me there.
0: There you go. Ideas for the show, questions for the show, cards you'd like us to review or check in on the market, items you're interested in knowing about, that's the stuff I know, or any questions you'd like us to pass along to team members or articles you'd like to see them write in the future, ship them to us all. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thanks
1: for listening, everybody.